Welcome to Cups and Cakes presents Inside the Artist Studio. The interview you're about to hear was originally recorded on May 20th, 2017, with a condensed version appearing on episode 86 of the Cups and Cakes podcast. To find out more about Cups and Cakes, visit them at www.cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. What you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Greensboro. Joining me today on Inside the Artist Studio is the band Slates, an Edmonton punk band that have been making music for nearly 10 years. They have never plateaued, instead they have pushed the envelope with each new album and have grown into a truly powerful band. The ability to craft perfectly written songs has become truly apparent in their latest release, Summary. Recorded to analog tape by legendary Steve Albini, it is the best written record in their catalogue. Guitars that create an intense sonic output help accentuate frontman James Stewart's powerful vocal delivery as he uses summer imagery to juxtapose some intensely personal lyrics. All right, joining me today on Inside the Artist Studio is James and Lee. How are you guys doing? Very well. How are you? Good. Uh, I too am doing well. Thank you. Well, uh, why don't you guys say your names and what do you guys play in the band? Uh, my name is James Stewart and I sing and play guitar in Slates. Uh, my name is Lee Klippenstein, and I play a bass guitar in the band Slates. Well, it's been uh, three years now since Tiger was released. How have the Slates grown musically with the new record? Three years. Yeah, that's been that long. <laughs> There's been an evolution since Tyga, which is kind of inevitable in a band for sure, but we wanted to make an album that I think was a little more concise. We started writing music that had a, like a bit more of an optimistic feel and we really wanted to pursue that and we always kind of thought of our records in kind of uh, seasonal ways like like Tyga's very like bleak dead of winter kind of record and we, we hadn't made a summer record and we wanted we're like let's see what happens if we try to do a summer record so <laughs> and you know if you listen to the record you're like what? <laughs> but yeah, that's the sound of our, but our that's, version of summer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's just it's just a band that's you know I guess progressing, which is inevitable. But you know it's just is growing more comfortable with each other and and the process and everything. What do you think? I think that's pretty pretty spot on. How like how it sounds specifically different than Taiga is it's like really hard to comment on. I think the pro like the process I think was the biggest difference. Uh, we we're getting better and better at writing and mostly just communicating with each other when we are writing there's less like less bickering about stuff yeah so it was like it, it was a smoother record to make smoother is maybe a good word for how it is too it's less the record's less jarring than uh than taiga is yeah maybe less intentionally <laughs> confrontational or <laughs> aggravating yeah but uh and another thing I would add is like we got really into like the idea of just like exploring really simple grooves and motifs and just and letting them kind of evolve naturally. Like we were, we wanted to explore that a bit more on this record. Yeah, 
Well, speaking of this record, it's your second release done with Steve Albini. What uh, made you guys choose to enlist him on this one again? The last time, uh, I worked really well. And it's all like making another record with someone you've worked with before. The Again, talking about process, it gets, it gets easier. And I think we definitely saw that too. It was... You have le- like less, there's less uncertainty going into the actual recording itself. Like the, the, the whole, I don't know, like the workflow is just much more streamlined. Uh, so that was definitely a factor. And like I was really happy how the last one sounded and I didn't really want to change much as far as sound goes. Yeah, like we had a few tweaks and stuff going into it, but we, I mean, we wrote, we write the material with working with someone like Steve Albini, like ideally Steve, or someone like that to just, you know, we can play live off the floor and they're capturing just the transparency of the band. There's not a lot of overdubs, there's not a lot of trickery. So when we're writing the songs, we have all that in mind. Working with someone for the second time is one of the greatest things you can do in a band. I love it. The first two records we did with our friend Jesse Gander, and uh, he's awesome in the Hive in, uh, or Rain City Recorders in Vancouver. And uh, it's like the second time you, you just you have so much more of an idea of their process and it takes a huge amount of anxiety. And working with someone like Steve Albini, like, you, you know, even, even though we're familiar with him and we're not super starstruck, like there's, when you go in, you're, you can't help but feel a little overwhelmed. You're in Chicago at Electrical Audio in like the premier analog recording facility. And he walks in in his, like his weird little jumpsuit and says something like, Rah! and you're just like, ah, I just got burned. <laughs> He's having a coffee. I'm having a coffee too. You know, you're just like, it's so exciting. You know, there's like a letter from Fugazi on the fridge. It just says, we thank you kindly, Fugazi. Letters from all these bands that have been there. And you're just like, this is such an amazing experience. And it's hard to take a breath, focus, center yourself. So getting all of that kind of out of the way in the second one and knowing like, oh, here's things that that we didn't love about maybe what we did in the process, you you get to tweak that. And when you get to work with someone again, he's familiar with us too, which makes a huge difference. Uh, We're familiar with him and like, it, it was just, it was so awesome to work with him again. Also bringing him here changed the dynamic completely. It's like, it felt like we were just like this unit that we were just like hunkering down together and just getting it done. And, uh, he was having a blast. Like he was having a great time, and uh, and it, we were, everyone was so relaxed, and we, it was it was a really positive experience. I'm so glad we did it with him again. Well, you did mention that you brought Steve to Edmonton. So did he get a chance to see Edmonton at all, or was this recording schedule too demanding? Short answer is no, no. He, he was in a hotel downtown, and Dallas picked him up and dropped him off every day. And uh, he, I think he just like just hung out in his hotel room after recording. But on the way to the airport, he's like, "Yeah, give me the, like, yeah, give me the tour of Edmonton." We're like, "Oh, you know, we, I think we, like, we're driving to White Ave." He's like, "Well, this, hey, actually, this actually looks like a neighborhood." And uh, I don't think that he was paying too much attention to the, <laughs> to the uh, ongoing dialogue that James and I were providing. Yeah, it was pretty funny. He was <laughs> like, "All right, so tell me about Edmonton." So we like drove through, and he was just like on his phone in the back, and I'm like, "Uh, this is the university. It's like this is what Edmonton." He's like, "Ah." He doesn't care. (laughs) But yeah, he was just, I remember Dallas was like, oh, you're right by the farmer's market because he was downtown. He was like, he's like, you could go grab some food there. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to go pick up a batch of arugula and a dozen eggs. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) And we almost, yeah, he wanted to go to the casino too and play some poker, but, and we almost got a poker game organized, but like, honestly, it's like you wake up early, you go to the studio, you're there all day and you're spent. You just go home and you're just like, ugh. 
So, it, I mean, it was a whirlwind. And no matter how much time you have for a record, you're going to fill it. It's just, that's what recording is. You're never like, oh, we finished early. Like, that doesn't happen. The quote is like, you never finish something, you just give up on it. Like, that applies <laughs> yeah, to, like, yeah, to recording yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, regarding the album, I read on social media that there was some potential sabotage of the record during the recording <laughs> process. I don't believe everything you hear on social media. That, that's definitely true. But no, sabotage is too strong a word. Definitely. It was some uh, accidental sabotage. <laughs> In fairness, we don't know exactly what happened. We have theories. Uh, that, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want to speculate. What, what happened was we came in and there was some mysterious holes in one of the mixes, just little blasts of silence as though someone was rapidly hitting the record button instead of the stop button. So that's the thing that happened, and we, you know, we don't know exactly what the cause of it was. No, we can say with about 97% surety what happened, but we're not going to. Uh, the fact remains is that uh, due to some other mechanical problems we'd had, we, we had an extra half day in the studio, and Steve's plane didn't leave till late, and he was totally game. He was like, yeah, let's just, you know, we'll go knock this out, it'll be, it'll be fine. And uh, he got there, and he was like, what the hell? So it was just, it wasn't on the actual master tapes, it was on the mix down reel. So we had to build a mix up from scratch and then splice the two together. I'm not even going to say what song it was, but. Yeah, I was like, who would It was an unnecessary and unwelcome pain in the ass, but it was handled with uh, the utmost professionalism by Mr. Albini. And he spent most of the time reassuring us and telling us about splices he had to do on other recordings and shellac records and stuff. Because he saw how. Like bummed out we were, and he was like, "It's guys, it's, this happens. Don't yeah, worry about it. It shouldn't happen. It little, happens." There's a little Easter egg though. If you can, <laughs> yeah. if you can fit. You can, you can hear it if you know what you're listening for. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say where it is on the record. <laughs> yeah, or what happened. <laughs> Mystery. I'll tell you this: if anyone can figure it out and tells me exactly what it is, you can have a test pressing of the record. Well, there you go. Well, the incredibly well-crafted guitar work on this album really stands out as intense and unorthodox. Were you trying to push the envelope and highlight the guitars? Kind of always, yes, I think so. It's just like, what? for me, it's like we create a lot more space for the guitars. We create a lot more space for everything. And instead of just having just like this wall of sound, it's like if we pull stuff out of it, all of a sudden it, it creates a lot more clarity in, in what the instruments are doing. And you allow for that guitar weave and we've gotten really into that idea of like this this weaving guitar thing that's like you know it was it was very much like the keith richards ronnie wood thing like 70s stones just that you know they're never stepping on each other's toes and they're going but it's like you hear it in you know television sonic youth drive like jay who hot snakes just the way the guitars work together and it's like we're kind of obsessed with that and we're always kind of chasing that uh but a huge part of what allows that to kind of stand out is the foundation that the bass and the drums are doing and the commitment they've got to building that basis for us that we can kind of go off on them so it, it, it is a it is a group effort and you know as long as it serves a song i think everyone's pretty happy with with their role i don't know if you have anything to add to that oh absolutely i'm in full agreement <laughs> oh good hey look at that we agree on something yeah. well the album's out now what do you guys have uh, planned to support it <laughs> well, we have uh, You sound like our label. <laughs> well, I'm going to have a kid. 
So that's going to take us off the road for a little bit, and then we'll. Uh, well, you were going to say something. Sorry, I interrupted. Well, I mean, we have like we have uh, Calgary and Edmonton release, and after that, yeah, we don't we don't have any plans because of you know family family stuff. But yeah, I mean, we like I think we will probably go out and do Western Canada and Ontario. Hopefully, Ontario, Quebec. You know, in the fall. You don't want to get ahead of yourself, but like we've always really wanted to go to Japan. I would love to go back to Europe. I would love yeah. to go back to Cuba. Lee wasn't with us when we went to Cuba the first time. Uh, you know, and all these things are still like we have the rest of our lives. Like this band functions really well together, and and we can accomplish these goals when we do it. So these are all things we really want to do, but we need to figure out what the new normal is. Like we we owe that to our partners and people that have supported us through this, and to each other. You know, it's no point going on a tour if I'm stressed out because, you know, I've got a, a new family back at home and I'm not there for them. So, you know, we'll we'll take care of that and each other and these things will... It, it, there's such a, a nice natural flow to this band. It's, it's really, it's great to be a part of and we will do some touring, but I don't know what. Yeah, there's like, there's, there's definitely no like stress or anxiety from on our end. It's like, I don't know, like, <laughs> well, well, about that particular, about that particular topic. But yeah, like, we're like, no, I don't know, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll tour at some point. Definitely. Uh, and, yeah. and our label is like, hey, when are you going to go on tour? And of course, and, and we will, you know, because <laughs> like, you know, they've invested in us and, and we want to do that for ourselves and for them too. So, you know, it's insane to even consider right now like i got a couple other things to deal with and then then we'll deal with that (laughs) so don't ask me anymore (laughs) shut up (laughs) well that's all we have for uh regarding the album and what you guys are up to so now we're going to go into the hard-hitting rapid fire questions which you guys are no stranger to yes are we just going to talk about how we want to have sex with iggy pop again (laughs) i feel like that was the majority of it last time (laughs) that's still true (laughs) yeah well, let's see if any, any answers have changed. What was the album that sparked your love of music? Ooh, California Raisins. I'm going to say Collective Souls first. Because <laughs> <laughs> I heard that song at a bar in Hinton last night, and I got pretty excited. So your love of music <laughs> happened last night? <laughs> no, I, I discovered for the first time where my love of music came from, and it is definitely the song Gel by uh, Collective Soul. I don't know if it was Gel that was being... No, it was uh, Shine Down, I believe. That's the song's name. No, I know this is rapid fire, but do you remember we were on tour and we were in Ottawa and someone jumped out in front of the van and and like I I don't know if what they I think they wanted to get hit. It was super intense and oh god! And then we pulled over on the side of the road and we were like, <gasps> and in the distance all we could hear was Gel by Collective Soul because they were playing the Blues Fest. <laughs> Greatest moment of my life. I found yeah. out last night. <laughs> yeah, so that just calmed us right down, got us back on the road. Anyway, rapid fire. Rapid fire. <laughs> What's you guys? current musical obsession hmm there was a record label called power records and i think there was some like italian dude in the early 80s that was living in toronto and he imported all this weird italo disco and just like weird 80s dance stuff and i've been obsessed with trying to find them all it's like all this like kind of off-brand kind of disco-y electronic music and it just sounds kind of like you spin me right round or blue monday or like whatever was kind of it's just their take on it and it's like uniformly awful and amazing and i think there's hundreds of them and i've got like six and i think i'm gonna spend the rest of my life getting them all <laughs> uh, i've just really only listened to morrissey yeah it's pretty much oh psychedelic furs we're into them a lot right now yeah yeah 
There you go. How do you guys take your coffee? Black. It used to be black, and then now I have it with red silk soy milk. There's enough sugar in that, and it's just, I'm so hooked on it. <laughs> I even we went to the high level diner today, and I like bring my own mason jar of red silk soy milk because I don't <laughs> like what they've got passing off as soy milk. <laughs> What's the uh, best movie you've seen recently? Uh, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah, I'm assuming you mean C as in just saw the actual VHS copy, and to our right here, there's a VHS copy of Robin Hood, and that's the best movie I saw recently. <laughs> Alcohol or marijuana? Alcohol. Yeah, booze for sure. Drink of choice? Beer. Uh, I like this Pilsner tall can I'm drinking, and I also like uh, whiskey. Anything that tastes kind of gross. <laughs> What's the best thing to happen to you on stage? <laughs> I unplug James's uh, uh, cables a lot, and I usually get, I'm pretty happy about that, and he's pretty pissed. Oh, I'll tell you what, I saw the, like, the Doughboys when I was like 15, and uh, they played at the Rev with Therapy, who are like an Irish alternative rock band, and they were playing their last song, which was a cover of a cover they were doing, I Want to Destroy You, but like, by the Soft Boys, but the way the Circle Jerks had done it at that time, and I was like rocking out, and they pulled me on stage, and they put their, like, uh, what's his name? John Kastner put his guitar on me, so I, like, played and, like, played the encore with them. And I was, like, flipping everyone off, and it was, like, the greatest moment of my life. That's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're flipping everyone off. Yeah. I, yeah, because I was so excited. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so, that, I mean, sure. Let's go with that. What's the worst thing to happen on stage? We played with a band called Uchme Doma. They're from the Czech Republic, and they're like a really proggy, kind of no means no-y. They're amazing. But we played with them, my old, old band, and uh, I played the whole show with uh, toilet paper jammed between my butt cheeks because I had violent stomach flu for like four days previous and during. <laughs> but, uh, That's pretty bad. <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? One time in, a, in an old band, I played in, uh, we were actually on tour with Amy McGrath, and uh, we were in Minneapolis, and we were big Replacements fans, and we thought, we're like, yeah, let's go down by the river and just drink a bag of wine, just a whole goon bag of wine. So we did that, and uh, Eamon played first, and he just played uh, only Replacement songs that, he's, that he'd never even tried to play. It was really quite something. Uh, and then the first song that my band played, I just fell off the stage and got stuck between the stage and the wall with my bass in between my like torso and my legs, and they just left me there. <laughs> That's just kind of where I was for about five minutes, and they kind of truck, trucked on without me. But yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> As well, it's kind of great. And, you know, I like I like I like the story. story. Yeah. So you said rapid fire, right? <laughs> Who's your favorite superhero? Uh, I would say maybe uh, Venom. Super villain, but yeah, Venom. <laughs> Not based on a lot. Venom, for sure oh, Venom. Definitely Venom. <laughs> definitely Venom. Uh, I don't know, man. I read a lot of comics when I was a kid. I, really, I always really liked Spider-Man. And it's easy, right? <laughs> and you pick Venom. <laughs> Perfect. Pick, all right, you know what? <laughs> But Black Spider-Man, so he's got the symbiote going too. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. kind of taking over him. What is the other one? Carnage? Is Carnage the other Carnage like? Sucks. Uh... <laughs> well, there you have it. Beetles or stones? Stones. Uh, stones, yeah. Not even close. Stooges. That was not an option. Yeah, it's always an option. What was your first car? I don't have a car. I don't drive. Uh, mine was a 1984 Mercury Lynx that. I uh, am constantly trying to find and repurchase. 
Hmm. Or a similar car. Best Canadian city to play. I've always really enjoyed Winnipeg. I don't know, like any city is... That's a tough question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I can't answer that. Winnipeg's awesome. Edmonton's awesome. Calgary's awesome. Saskatoon's awesome. Uh, We're definitely just getting into naming cities. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, I have a few to add to this list. This list. All right, do you guys have a, a worst city to play? A worst city. What is the worst Canadian show you we've ever played? I think I'm gonna say Moncton. No, Moncton just, was awesome. just just the show itself. The what? show itself. No, first of all, the East Coast, the whole thing kind of stank, but the, Moncton was like one of the only shining lights. Dallas and I did a very bad job, I guess is what I'm. Oh, so you did a bad job in Moncton? Yeah, well, yes. Oh, okay. So the question is, what's the worst performance <laughs> by Lee in a Canadian city? The answer is unanimously is Moncton. <laughs> what's the weirdest request you've had from a fan? I don't know if we, if we got any weird things. Yeah, but like, I, I've always wondered if this is what we said last time too, but when we played in Bosnia and there's this old man kind of dancing and he said, make me hot, make me hot. And it was just like... I don't think we succeeded. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that he was hot. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, he didn't stick around long enough for us to ask after, but yeah, I don't think we made him hot. <laughs> Uh, I tried. <laughs> Speaking of getting hot, what's the best album to have sex to? Uh, Collective Soul's first record. <laughs> <laughs> California Raisins. <laughs> Obviously. What's the best road trip album? Oh, man. James Gang. That's best a, of the James that's Gang. That's a pretty good answer. Uh, I'm going to say uh, something green and leafy this way comes. Mm, that's good, too. Nephew. Just because then you can listen to Joni Mitchell tapes we, uh, over we, and over again. We bought a uh, a new van. It only has a tape deck, so everyone's busting out these like mixtapes from like the mid '90s. So it's just <laughs> whoa. So uh, all those are always great, just for how much you get to mock each other and then just like revisit all these things that none of it's aged well. Like Down by Law in 2017, not super awesome, <laughs> but yeah, James Gang. Stefan has a bunch of a bunch of his mixtapes have like like cherry pop and daddies and stuff on them. Like he didn't make them. Those, Mario oh, made that's them. Right, they're that's all right. like Brian Setzer and then just yeah. like hardcore. <laughs> yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. yeah, they're a nice nice change up. Yeah. All right. You guys had a lot of fun with this question last time. If you'd have sex with any musician, dead or alive, guy or girl, who would it be? Well, I mean, <laughs> are we still fucking Iggy Pop? <laughs> I think we're still probably fucking at you, Pop. I think you said you would have sex with Stefan. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, Iggy Pop still seems like the choice. Yeah, I mean, sure. I don't. You know what? You know what? Since I mentioned Morrissey earlier, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Morrissey on that list because I am coming to realize that part of my fascination with Morrissey is sexual. I'm coming to accept that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am definitely attracted to him. I would say 50 percent of no, probably higher with Iggy Pop. Can we do it in the same room? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll ask them, I guess. All right, if you could get wasted with any musician, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you abuse? <laughs> I, w- I want to hang out with Morrissey after him and Lee fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, same answer, but James, after uh, he, uh, he gets busy with Iggy Pop... <laughs> 
Lord. And then Morrissey and Iggy Pop. I guess we could just like all hang out maybe. Yeah, I guess. Why not? <laughs> we're, all, we're, to kill. we're all gonna be there. <laughs> if we could fight any musician, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh. Man, there's just so many people that I hate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Musicians especially. They're just such scum. <laughs> just in general? Oh, like routinely. 85, 90%. Just scum. So you just want to fight musicians in, in <laughs> yeah. general? All musicians. Minus 10%. I don't know. I think we just shit all over Ted Nugent last time, which was well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, who, who since then has been a real... Oh, there's been tons. It's, it's like every week something comes out where someone was being horrible and misrepresenting themselves. This is what I'm talking about. Or perhaps accurately representing themselves. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Didn't Marilyn Manson get punched in Lethbridge? What? Yes, Not recently, though. Yeah. Like two years ago, yeah. Oh. I want to punch whoever punched Marilyn Manson. Yeah. I'm assuming they were a, a musician. Leave our boy alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's my official answer. The guy, who, guy or girl who punched Marilyn Manson in Lethbridge. What? All right. <laughs> yeah, you can pick your own. That's <laughs> uh, too hard. <laughs> you, I pick Lee. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, we got to our final question here. Similar to the Twilight Zone episode, if you just found out you're the last person alive on Earth, what's the first thing you would do? I was the last person? Like, just me? Yep. I'd probably just kill myself. I'd probably just drink a tall pilsner. <laughs> Much like I'm doing right now. <laughs> By yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> what choice do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, alright guys, that's all we have. Thanks for uh, coming down to the podcast again. Oh, thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's always fun. Yeah, good luck on all your uh, future endeavors. Hmm, thank you. You as well. And here's a track to send you on your way. Suboptimal.
Cups and Cakes Presents is produced by Jeff McCallum. The featured track was played with permission from Slates. Undercurrents from Atlantis Jazz Ensemble's album Oceanic Suite is the background music throughout the entire episode. Oceanic Suite is available through Ottawa's Marlowe Records. Find out more at marlowrecords.com. Inside the Artist Studio is the second podcast from Cups and Cakes. To hear their original podcast and learn more, go to www.cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.